You are the author and perfecter of our faith. Through your word this morning, delight us with a newness of knowledge of your everlasting love through your gift, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 80. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets all long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of of our God, which by... by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine and those living in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, Christmas is a week away. I guess all of you are busy preparing for this family celebration at home. And there will always be the last-minute shopping uh, to make sure that no one is forgotten. Um, Everybody is happy. So even as we soak in the festivity mood, let us not forget the preparation of our hearts to receive and honour Jesus, the Messiah, to worship Him and put Him first in our lives. And as we said, Advent is that season, that four Sundays before Christmas, where we want to prepare our hearts to be really in tune with God's Word and with His presence and His work among us, and also in preparation for His coming. And so for this fourth Advent Sunday, I've chosen the last section of Luke chapter 1 that has been read for us by Louisa. We want to look at this passage to direct our joyful thanksgiving to our Saviour God, who has kept His promise of salvation to us. Now, I suspect that not many fathers would break out into a song at the birth of their firstborn, right? Anyone has done that? No. I think not many of us will do that. And I think it is also cultural, probably cultural. And perhaps also it is due to the fact that not many of us are good singers, right? Now, in my previous life, uh, when I had to attend or stand by at the delivery suite, Uh, The closest I have heard a father sing was a chant, a prayer chant. And the father was a devout Muslim. 
And when he received the baby in his arms, he chanted a prayer, dedicating the baby to Allah. Now, I wish that more Christian fathers would do something similar, to break out into a prayer song when they hold their baby for the first time, with thanksgiving and dedicate the child to God. Wouldn't that be lovely? I think we may make this a requirement for new expecting fathers. <laughs> now, my guess is that this practice is not uncommon among the godly people in ancient times. And Luke gives us an example of this at the end of chapter 1 of his gospel account. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1, 60, verse 67 to 80. Now Luke tells us that Zechariah is a priest and he's over the moon when his son, John the Baptist, is born. You see, John is the son that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, almost could not have. And that's because Elizabeth is unable to conceive and both Zechariah and Elizabeth are in their old age. But nine months earlier, while Zechariah was serving in the temple, burning incense, the angel Gabriel appeared before him and prophesied that Elizabeth would have a son whom they would call John. But Zechariah could not believe the prophecy and he asked the angel Gabriel for a sign, for a confirmation. And so Gabriel gave Zechariah a sign. And the sign was that Zechariah would become dumb and deaf and remain so until the son was born. And so now, nine months on, John is born to much joyful celebration. And as soon as Zechariah regains his voice, he breaks out into a song. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah sings in thanksgiving to God. And he then prophesies through his song. And we read this in verse 67. His father, that means uh, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Now, this song of Zechariah's, uh, Zechariah uh, is also known in the church tradition as the Benedictus. Benedictus. Benedictus is Latin for praise be, and so you could say that praise be to the God for he has sent salvation to his people. This whole statement could be the title of Zechariah's song. And in a sense, Zechariah's song complements Mary's song, which is recorded earlier by Luke in a chapter. And some of you may be familiar with Mary's song, and it is often called the Magnificat, which in Latin means glorifies. And you may remember that Mary sang the Magnificat while she was visiting her cousin Elizabeth, who was already six months pregnant with John. And in the Magnificat, uh, Mary glorifies God for choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah, whom she would give the name Jesus. And so now in the Benedictus, Zechariah will, will praise God 
for the work of salvation that both John the Baptist and Jesus the Messiah will do. And this work of salvation is in fact the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham. And so as we look through the lyrics of Zechariah's song, we can see that uh, the lyrics, the song, can be divided into three parts. First, Zechariah gives praise and thanks to God for his salvation. And we read this uh, in verses 68 through to verse 75. Um, and second, he makes a prophecy about his newborn son, John. And we read this in verse 76 and 77. And thirdly, uh, he, Zechariah makes a prophecy about his, his soon-to-be-born nephew, Jesus the Messiah. And we read this in verse 78 and 79. So let us take a closer look as, at, at these three parts. Okay? Now, so first, Zechariah begins his song by giving praise to God for his salvation. So in verse 68, Zechariah sings, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Uh, I think that's one, can we have, uh, verse 68, yep, okay. Now, notice that there is a distinct difference in the way God is now saving his people as compared to previous times. You see, in the past, when Israel was in Egypt, God sent Moses to redeem his people. And throughout the history of Israel, uh, God would send the agency of a judge or a prophet or a king to deliver his people from trouble. But this time, God does not send um, another agent. God himself will personally come and he will come to visit his people and save them. And this is great news for the people because it has never happened before. And how will God personally come to visit his people? Well, God will come in the flesh, in the person of the Messiah. And, and Zechariah refers to the Messiah as a horn of salvation for us in the house of Israel. Now, a horn of salvation is a metaphor taken from the Old Testament book of De Deuteronomy. Um, and that metaphor pictures Israel as a strong ox with horns that will defeat the surrounding nations. And so we can get this imagery and, and it is applied to the Messiah. And so the Messiah is someone with power and strength and he is mighty to save. And the Messiah is said to be from the house of David, means that he is a descendant of David. And we read that, uh, we learned about that last uh, Sunday when Matthew traced the ge genealogy of Jesus back to King David. And so this is describing Jesus. So what else is said about the Messiah? So Zechariah says that the Messiah will deliver God's people from their enemies 
and from those who hate them. We read this in verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So God will save his people from their enemies and from the hand of all who hate them. So in ancient Israel, the enemies of God's people were the foreign political and military powers. Uh, the surrounding nations like the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians. And these nations had at different times harassed and laid siege uh, to Israel. But each time, God delivered the Israelites from these foreign nations. Now, today, there are no foreign political or military enemies of God's people. And this is because God's people are now found scattered in every country in the world. But in every country where God's people are found, there will be other people who hate them. And they hate Christians because Christians choose to humbly live out the gospel in obedience to Jesus. And those who hate Christians may be politicians or they may be uh, the men on the street or the ordinary people. Now, politicians may pass laws to make it difficult for Christians to practice their faith. And ordinary Christians may hate Christians, uh, ordinary people may hate Christians for upholding their moral values because they think that Christians are hypocrites, bigots, and intolerant of other values. But as God's people, we are not to take it personally when people hate us. They are not our true enemies. And we shall never wish them ill, or we should never take any retaliatory actions against them. Instead, we should commit ourselves to God whenever uh, we are hated whenever we are persecuted. And we must leave any vengeance to God because vengeance belongs to God alone. And God will see to it that justice will always be done. And we must remember that our true enemies are not other people, not human beings or human structures. The Apostle Paul, in his letters to the Ephesians, tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so behind all the opposition against God's people that we see today, whether they are from inside the church or from outside the church, is the work of Satan and his minions. Satan and his minions hate God's people and they are our true and ultimate enemies. But we are not to be afraid of them. They may destroy our body, but they cannot touch our soul. And our soul is always safe in the hands of our Saviour, Jesus. And when Jesus the Messiah comes again at his second coming, he will destroy Satan and his minions. He will bring justice to all 
and he will right every wrong and the Messiah will restore our body and our soul together in perfection. Sin, sickness, suffering, pain, disease, death will be no more. So this is our hope of eternal life and we can be certain of this hope because our salvation is the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham and this is what Zechariah sings about in verses 72 and 73. And, uh, the verse says that our salvation, when we recall our salvation, we are to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Now you may recall this incident in Genesis chapter 15. God had promised Abraham that all nations will be blessed through his offspring. But 10 years on, Abraham was still without a son. And Abraham doubted if this promise of God was true. And so what did God do to assure Abraham? Well, God made a covenant, a unilateral covenant with Abraham. God asked Abraham to cut some animals into halves and arrange the halves opposite each other across a passageway. And then as the sun was setting, uh, Abraham fell into a deep, dark sleep. And in the darkness, Abraham saw a smoking pot with a blazing torch, which represents God. And the torch passed down the passageway between the pieces of animals. By this covenantal act, God was telling Abraham that if his promise to him was not fulfilled, God would suffer the same fate as the animals. Now, since it is impossible for God to be cut into halves, the logic is that it is therefore impossible for God not to fulfill his promise to Abraham. And as Matthew showed us last Sunday, Jesus, as the descendant of Abraham, fulfilled God's promise to Abraham. And the New Testament tells us that all people are blessed when they put their trust in Jesus. And they are blessed with eternal life and with the final salvation from sin, sickness and death. And all this will happen and come to fruition when the Messiah comes again. Now, in the meantime, as we wait for Jesus' return, what are God's people to do? What has God saved us for in this present world? Now, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells us that in Christ, God has saved us to do good works. And so Zacharias tells us the same thing in his song, but in a slightly different way. Look at verses 74 and 75. Now, God has rescued us to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. 
So let me read that again. God has saved us to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. So until Jesus comes again, Christians are to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. Now to serve God without fear means we are to worship God without fear of man. And it means also that we are to share the gospel without fear of man. To serve God is also to love and care for our neighbours without fear that we might be disadvantaged. And we are to give generously to the needy. We are to give generously to the gospel work without fear that we will not have enough to live on. And we are to be committed to building up the church, the congregation in their faith, without fear of losing out, without fear that our family may suffer. You see, serving God without fear is to put God, to put Jesus, and to put His people first in our lives. In that order, God, Jesus, and others. And we are to put ourselves last. And this is counter-cultural because the culture tells us to put ourselves first. Now, besides serving God, we are also to live our lives in holiness and righteousness. And that means we are to say no to worldliness. So let me ask you a question this morning, brothers and sisters. Have you said no to worldliness? And you may ask, how can I tell if I'm still worldly? Well, I once heard a preacher say this, that a good way to test whether you're still worldly is this. Ask yourself, do you treat sin lightly? And do you consider doing the right thing strange? So do you treat sin lightly? And do you uh, consider doing the right thing strange? Now if the answer is yes, you are still worldly. Now during our recent uh, leave and our trip back to Singapore, um, I met up with a senior church member and he shared with me how his senior pastor found it, uh, find it distressing when he conducts premarital counselling. And despite the senior pastor warning uh, that fornication is a sin, uh, many young couples hold the view that it is okay to have premarital sex because they are going to get married anyway. So these young couples are still worldly, even though they may profess to be Christians. And so I pray that none of us hold to that kind of wrong view. You see, when we make light of sin, we are not living in holiness. And without holiness, no one can see God. Or to put it another way, <clears throat> if you have no desire to fight against sin and you find it strange to do what is right, 
it is unlikely that you are saved. And you then need to repent and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart so that you would want to be part of God's holy people. Now, I have spent more time on the first part of Zechariah's song. And this is because we need to be clear on our salvation. We are saved to live holy lives. But we have to move on. And the second part of the song uh, concerns the prophecy of Zechariah's newborn son, John. <clears throat> now, just as the angel Gabriel had prophesied nine months earlier, Zechariah now confirmed uh, that John would fulfill the role of the end-time Elijah. And John would be the forerunner to prepare the way for God as he comes to visit his people in the person of the Messiah. So in verse 76, uh, Zechariah says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. How will John prepare the way for the Messiah? Verse, 7, uh, verse 77 tells us, uh, John is to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And that's what John has to do. In other words, John will proclaim the gospel so that people will be ready to believe the Messiah when he appears. You see, Zechariah has summarized the gospel in less than 10 words. Well, nine to be exact. So that's how he puts it. The gospel is the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. So this is the gospel in a nutshell. The, gospel, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Now, everyone needs to know the knowledge of salvation. And yet, many people have not even heard about it. And this is tragic because they, they, they do not know what they need to be saved from. Now, most people that you and I know, our families and our friends, probably think that they are secure where they are. They are not threatened by wars. They are not threatened by any natural disaster. They are in good health. Uh, they are not poor. Um, and they live in good and safe suburbs. So they have no idea what they need to be saved from unless we tell them, just like John did to the people of his time. John told his people to repent of their sins and be saved from the coming judgment of God. So likewise today, we must tell everyone that they need to be saved from God. They need to be saved from the coming wrath of God. Now this may come as a surprise to many because their idea of God is one who is loving, who is accepting of everyone. Well, this is true, but it is only half the truth. Because the other half of the truth is that God is angry with us. He is angry with our rebellion. We ignore Him, we disrespect Him, and we have become God's enemies because of our sins. 
And unless our sins are forgiven, we will face God's wrath. We will face His judgment. And that is why everyone needs to know the knowledge of salvation. Everyone, all of us, need the gospel. And the gospel gives us the good news that God has offered us, has offered us the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be saved from His wrath. But God's offer of forgiveness of our sins will cost Him will cost him dearly through the sacrifice of his Messiah. And so this brings us to the third part of Zechariah's song. And this final part of the song tells us that our sins will be forgiven because of the coming of the Messiah who will die for our sins. And so look at uh, verses, uh, verses 78 and 79. <clears throat> Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now the rising sun from heaven, that is the Old Testament metaphor used of the coming Messiah. And the Messiah will come as a light to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. That describes us because darkness is where we live. Darkness is the metaphor for sin and judgment and we live in sin and in judgment. And because of sin, we deserve death. But the Messiah will come and he will enter the darkness to go to the cross and die the death we deserve. And by his resurrection, he gives us new life and he guides our feet into the path of peace, meaning that he will bring peace between us and God. He will give us peace with God. And so we are now reconciled to God and we become his holy people instead of his enemies. And so this is good news. And so this recon reconciliation to God, this salvation from God's judgment has come to us not because we are good people, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it through good works. No. Salvation has come to us because of God's tender mercy. So read that verse again. Because of the tender mercy of our God, we have the salvation. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this in his letter to Titus. And Paul says that, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, that is when the Messiah came on the first Christmas, when the kindness and love of our God uh, our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. So we must be grateful for God's mercy for saving us. So brothers and sisters, we cannot save ourselves through good works. We are saved because of God's grace, of God's mercy. And we are saved through faith 
in Jesus, the Messiah. So as we look forward to Christmas next Sunday, let us make sure we have the knowledge of salvation. And let us be bold to share this knowledge of salvation with our family and our friends so that they too can prepare their hearts to, pre to receive the Messiah. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in fulfilling your covenantal promise to Abraham. And we are now all blessed with the knowledge of salvation in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for this song of Zechariah, for the good news that we are now at peace with you because of your tender mercy. Help us now to serve you without fear and empower us by your Spirit to live in holiness and righteousness so that others, when they see us, may also want to come to believe in the Messiah. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.